This is the Mark Dolan Way. Top tips for mind, body and soul, some great life hacks and my favourite products of the week. This show is available on all podcast platforms or you can watch it. Just subscribe to the Mark Dolan Way on YouTube and join the Facebook group. Enjoy. Hello and welcome to the show. I hope you are very well. Welcome criticism. Bathe yourself in feedback from other people because that will make you better. It is human nature to resist criticism because it makes us feel insecure. It makes us feel worthless. It hurts, but pain is good because if you accept that constructive feedback, you will improve. You'll fix the things that aren't working. It is truly fabulous. You've got to make sure that you know the difference between feedback that is positive and constructive and feedback which is negative and destructive. So there are people out there who don't have your best interests at heart. They're going to attack you. That's not the kind of criticism I'm talking about. It's people that are on your team, who are on your side, who want the best for you. Colleagues, friends, family members who say, Steve, you need to be more punctual. Uh, Caroline, you need to um, do those company reports to a higher standard, okay? They want the best for you. It's a bit of tough love. Uh, the word no is a word of love. If someone says no, okay, that's honest, that's direct. It is a word of love. So bathe yourself in criticism. It's like vitamins for your soul. And it's a marvellous thing. A wise critic that points out your faults hands you a map to untold treasure. So I hope you're very well. I hope things are good. It's lovely, lovely, lovely to chat to you and to see you, those of you watching on the YouTube and lovely to have you listening as well. I'm just going to crack open. Oh, now, wouldn't that be great if it was a beer? But it's not. I will do at some point a drunk show, okay? I'm definitely going to do a show where I crack open a couple of beers and you and me digitally and metaphorically have have a bit of a drink together. We'll do a drunk episode. Not drunk, by the way. You know, I don't mean that. I'm not a I don't like being drunk. The room is spinning. I feel sick. Terrible the next day. But just a couple of uh, a couple of refreshments for the show. Um, it's not going to be a regular thing, but I just it's an interesting experiment. Don't you think uh, the Beatles experimented with LSD? And it led to Sergeant Peppers. Well, I'm going to experiment with Budweiser or Carlsberg. And let's see what gold I can produce. Um, what I'm having today, it sounded like I'd cracked open a beer, but I'm, I, it's a British supermarket called Marks and Spencer, who are excellent. Delicious. It's called Lightly Sparkling Spring Water Unsweetened. And I have talked about these sorts of products in the past, but they're everywhere. You can get them in most places on earth now, not Marks and Spencer's drinks, but just the, the notion, the format of a spring water, which has got a little hint of fruit flavor to it. So this one has got a hint of peach and apricot. But the thing is, it's zero calories, zero carbohydrates. And it's just an essence. It's the kind of essence of the fruit. So I don't know how they do that, but it's very clever and it, it is natural and it's delicious. And I've always said that these cold, fizzy, fizzy water 
is an excellent weight loss option because you feel like you're having a soft drink, but you've got no calories. It's good for you. It cleans out your system. Uh, and these flavoured mineral waters, I think, are a great new development. Highly recommended. Um, some of them have got like bits of preservative in it and stuff. So do check out the ingredients. But sparkling mineral water with a, with an essence of fruit. Great one for if you've got kids for their school lunchbox. Put that in because it's it's a bit like a soft drink. By the way, top tip. <clears throat> if you do, if you can get hold of, of any of these sort of um, slightly flavoured mineral waters. If you want to literally turn them into a soft drink, all you do is you get liquid stevia drops, right? Plain liquid stevia drops, stevia being a natural sweetener, which contains no calories. A couple of drops of that into your sparkling water. And what it does is it sort of draws out the fruit. So this one is peach and apricot. And if I added stevia to that, it will become a very sweet, peachy, apricotty soft drink. And again, no calories. And you think... You think you've had a Sprite, you think you've had a Fanta, but you haven't. It's amazing. Amazing. We will, and I've got to do a low carb weight loss special. I know it's kind of a recurring theme of the show and we do come back to it here and there, but really soon in the next few episodes, I'm going to do a dedicated one. And I was just talking to a friend who's started a low carb journey. And I said to her that the thing is, you're actually not missing out on anything because I mean, if you've got a sweet tooth, well, there are all these healthy, natural sweeteners like stevia and erythritol and xylitol, which contain no calories and which taste like sugar. And they're sweet. I mean, I eat just as much sweet stuff now as I ever did because I've got low carb chocolate, which is sweetened with erythritol. It's chocolate. It tastes like chocolate. It looks like chocolate. It's got a sugary taste, but none of the consequences. So the options are out there. There's low carbohydrate bread. There's low carbohydrate pasta. Um, a friend of mine has just gone gluten free and hilariously, he is not gluten intolerant. So why on earth has he gone gluten free? Well, he read a book by Novak Djokovic, the famous tennis player who gave up gluten when he was young. And it transformed his life and his health. And he attributes his great success in in tennis to, to um, his diet and to having got rid of the gluten. I think he was a bit of a celiac. I think he was gluten intolerant. But here's the thing about this gluten business, right? And I'm not qualified to say this, but I'll just give you my two pennies worth. I think that we're all on a spectrum when it comes to gluten. I don't think gluten is like actively good for anyone. I think some people react to it badly. I think millions of us may be reacting to it and not know about that. So there could be sort of just inflammation in the body, inflammation in the gut that you're not feeling, that you're not aware of, but it's there because gluten is this protein. It's an ingredient of bread. Uh, the way that wheat has been processed and farmed in the last 50 years is so artificial and unnatural. It's about bigger yield and, you know, insect resistant crops and all the rest of it interfering with nature. And I understand that the the gluten levels of, of, of wheat and therefore bread and biscuits and pasta are, are higher, higher than they were. Um, I know that things like sourdough, which is cooked for like a day or two and it's fermented, I think that that bread has got less gluten. 
So that might not be a bad sort of way of getting, you know, weaning yourself off gluten is to go for some of those more very natural fermented breads. But I can't see that gluten is great for anyone. So I decided to join my friend on this gluten free journey. And a bit like low carb, there are so many options now for people who are gluten free. And I tried the gluten free bread. It's absolutely fine. And unfortunately, they're quite they're quite carby. So it doesn't really fit perfectly with low carb. But if you're just focused on getting off gluten, a lot of those um, breads and biscuits are pretty convincing. We've got some crusty white rolls, gluten-free, kind of like hamburger type rolls in the freezer. And I just popped one in the oven yesterday in order to um, defrost it and actually have it. It was like, it was like bread. There's no wheat in there. So um, pretty nice. See, so, yeah, I, I can't say that I feel wildly different since I um, got, the, got, got, got rid of the gluten. It's been about two weeks. But I just have the peace of mind of knowing that <clears throat> I've eliminated something from my diet that isn't really optimal. And actually, there's this lad that was a friend of my son's at school and he was gluten free because he had really bad celiac. He, he, he was a celiac and he got a really bad reaction to gluten. And he would be he probably would be off to the doctor if he'd had anything that contained it. And he was a bit down about it. And I said, listen, big guy, you're lucky because... Everything that's not good for you, your body doesn't allow you to have anyway. You are allergic to things that are bad for you. You're allergic to pasta, bread, beer, biscuits, all that stuff. Your body says no. And you're lucky that your body says no. In a way, if you're a celiac, the gatekeepers that you've got are better than the gatekeepers that the rest of us have got, right? Because the rest of us will, will just let these dreadful things into our body. But your, your body is smarter and goes, no. I will not accept gluten. That's not bad. I've got another friend who uh, feels sick when she has potatoes and especially chips. It's like she's so lucky that chips, that French fries make her feel sick because I don't know about you, but I find French fries extraordinarily delicious. That would be my death row meal. A burger and chips with ketchup and beer. And then I'll do the podcast. I'll do, I'm on death row and I'll do the podcast and we'll have Budweiser and I'll eat carbohydrates. And I reckon it will be the best show I've ever done, NGL. That means not going to lie. It's the first letter of each word, one after the other. Absolutely nothing wrong with that drink, let me tell you. So... Yeah, it's fine. I don't feel hugely different, but I've got peace of mind of knowing that I've eliminated the gluten. And I would suggest I feel like I might have lost a bit of weight. Because I think there's less, you know, you're just less inflamed, aren't you? Um, so we'll see about that. Um, yeah. So listen, let's let's crack on because we've got lots to do. It's so nice to see you and to hear you. I do hope you are very well. I hope you've been having a good week. Um, I am um, committed to doing this every single week. And my obsession is that there is never a missed episode. So where are we now? It's episode 28. And I really want to thank you for your support because there's a very, very loyal audience for this show. And that is miraculous. I'm very lucky and I'm very, very grateful. And we shall keep it going, you and me. <laughs> 
and let's um let's change the world together shall we gut instinct it's there for a reason you have a gut instinct right it's in your gut i mean they, they talk about the gut as the second brain and actually we should look after our gut which is another story and we'll actually let me write that down for a future episode gut health you know, that lovely, the right mix of bacteria, the correct acid level, fermented <clears throat> fermented foods, that kind of thing. By the way, gluten, bread, wheat, beer, terrible for your gut. Terrible. Terrible. Anyway, gut instinct is another thing. But that, and, and you know what gut instinct is. And it's when you go into the room, a room, and there's someone in there and it just, I have, don't have a good feeling about this guy. And unfortunately, sometimes we don't listen, especially in this very modern world with technology and everything's so rationalized and we've got computers thinking for us, haven't we? And we've got smartphones making decisions on our behalf and you just, you know, whatever it is, you, know, you, you need to like add something up. You, you put it in a calculator. You don't use your head anymore. We were constantly deferring to devices to actually run our lives. There's no map reading. You've got GPS in the car and on your bike, you know? Um, so we have got distanced from our gut instincts but it's still there and it's a survival mechanism and who knows what the science around gut instinct is but it's something to do with your brain and your physiology it's something to do with you know are we slightly psychic do we have mildly psychic powers i I don't think you could rule that out you know this psychic thing because i will occasionally i promise you this this happens so many times i will think about somebody randomly in my head that I haven't seen for maybe two years. And then like a day later, they call me or I see them. That happens to me. I don't know if that's happened to you. And a few other times when I've made a remark and then it's just directly related to me. It could be a coincidence. But anyway, it kind of all fits in, doesn't it? Your, your subconscious. What, what percentage of our brain do we actually use? We use a tiny percentage of our brains. We use massive brains with enormous processing power but we'll just use a little bit at the front (laughs) which is a terrible waste but our subconscious I mean think about your subconscious right look at the movies that your brain makes when you're asleep I mean what's that all about the creativity of dreams they aren't that, that is like Steven Spielberg couldn't even go close to what you come up with every night when you're asleep it's bonkers isn't it so the power of the subconscious the power of gut instincts. So what I want you to do is just get in the habit of listening to your gut more, feeling your gut. I think it ties in with mindfulness, which is another thing. Mindfulness is another thing we have to do on the show, which I really think is marvellous. But let's just focus now on that, on your gut instinct, your feeling about people, your feeling about a situation. Maybe you've been offered a new job. The money's right. The location is right. The industry is right, but something tells you not to do it. I'm just not quite feeling it. What about a relationship, a boyfriend or a girlfriend, and they're gorgeous and they're this and they're that, and they're your type and they tick all the boxes, but it's just not quite there. It's just not happening. And yet there'll be another time, another time when, like work-wise, for example, you know, once or twice I've had opportunities, right, which were just rubbish compared to other good opportunities but my gut said do the do the rubbish one do the do the rubbish job 
I got, I was in a position, I had two radio stations when I started out in the media. And one was a big established radio station that I'd listened to when I grew up. And then one was a completely tiny, hopelessly unsuccessful, financially ruined, broke, about to close down radio station. And I kind of had a possible opportunity at the big radio station. But I didn't really like the job itself or in fact, didn't like the job at all. But I loved, oh, my God, if I could work there. And then the other one was rubbish place about to close down. But the job itself, what I'd be doing is was absolutely ideal. And I went to meet both and my gut instinct said, go, go to the rubbish place, which is about to close down. I mean, that is just that's the magic of your gut instinct, isn't it? Is that your gut is so smart that it can see through anything. And it is wise. 99% of people would say you've got to go for the big radio station. Look at that brand. You get in there. You'll do that. You don't like that job. That's fine. But you'll once you're in the building, you'll navigate your way to what are you doing joining a radio station that's tiny that no one listens to that's about to close down? What are you thinking? I can actually tell you the radio station hilariously was a women only radio station called Viva. It was in London. Brilliant people. Great project. I am profoundly privileged and grateful to them forever for for accepting me. By the way, it wasn't even a bloody job. It was work experience. If you're listening in North America, an intern. It wasn't even a bloody job, but it was my first kind of rung on the ladder, my first opportunity. But my gut instinct said, take take the lesser of these two opportunities. How mad is that? But I followed my gut. I just had that feeling. I was like, yeah, I just want to get in there. I can't wait to start. And it was the right thing to do because that radio station hilariously did close down, but some people took over and I I basically convinced the new management to give me a chance because they tried to get rid of everybody at Viva because Viva had, had failed as a project. So they didn't want these crappy failed people. They, they didn't want that stench of failure um, to... Uh, to pollute or influence their new project. So, you know, if something's failed, you get rid of the people responsible for that failure, don't you? So, I mean, it was a disaster, really. I, was, I couldn't believe it because I'd only been there a few weeks and suddenly it's like, OK, we're closing down. But I convinced them. I convinced the new boss to give me a chance. And the rest is history. The rest is history. The rest is history. So my gut instinct was right. So follow yours, listen to yourself. It, it does tie in with mindfulness, which we'll do in the future. Mindfulness is about breathing in the air and looking at the sunshine and feeling nature and listening to your body and all that. But it also ties in with gut instinct. So trust yourself. Do you know what I mean? Trust yourself. Uh, do you know, it's like common sense. Common sense is, is very wise. It's very right. It's not always, but that's the thing. Common sense isn't all. Sometimes things that are logical that aren't. So, for example, if you're trying to lose weight, counting calories makes sense. That's common sense. But in fact, it doesn't work because it doesn't take into account body chemistry. Right. So if you reduce your calories, but you're still eating pasta and bread and rice, you're going to spike insulin. You won't lose any weight. Um, so counting calories, let me tell you, it does not work. It's all about the food that you eat and what that does to your insulin. End of.
which is why low carb works. Um, so common sense isn't always, that's the thing. I'm afraid you have to question everything, but a lot of common sense is good. So just make a judgment every time. Occasionally just, you know, do the obvious thing. Some people don't do the obvious thing. It's just like, it's obvious, just, just do that. It's amazing how many people, you know, self, self, um, self-sabotage. I don't know, just like, let's say this, always picking fights with the boss at work or always late or something. It's just like, I know you got job interview, right? Just be early, right? That's obvious, isn't it? Be early, but it's amazing. I've, I've held job interviews. People turn up late or they turn up like scruffy or just whatever, not organized. They haven't Googled about the company that they're being interviewed for. That's obvious, isn't it? But it's amazing how many people do not do the obvious thing. So just keep it really simple. You know, what is obvious? Um, dress well so that you're well presented to the world. I mean, that's great for professional, but it's also great for your social life and it's great for a potential partner, right? Just, you know, make your hair look good. That's obvious. Think about your appearance. Uh, take exercise. Um, you know, text your family, ask them how they're doing and just, Obvious stuff. Really, it's amazing how much of you know. You got to work, right? You got to work. You get get to work on time. Apply yourself. Make lists. Get through the tasks. Navigate through problems. Reach out if you've got an issue and get help and everything. If you look at the really successful people, you know it, it's not rocket science. They just got on with it and they just did the things you need to do. I mean, here's a perfect example. David Beckham, right? We think of him, and of course he is an extraordinary footballer, ex-footballer, and now entrepreneur. Uh, he was really good at free kick, free kicks. And the reason he was good at free kicks is because he just did loads and loads of free kicks. <laughs> it's not complicated. He didn't get, like, injections or something. There was no sports psychology or there was no particular food he ate. He just... Did a lot of free kicks. And he was famous for, they would do the training and then they would have lunch, the team. And, and they would, most of the players would then go home because they just train in the morning. And he'd just like go back out in the afternoon and spend the afternoon, tedious afternoon, 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 endlessly doing free kicks, one after the other, just forever. Now that's not, that's not complicated, is it? And if you're a footballer and you want to be the one that does those set pieces... Why don't you just do what David Beckham did and just do a lot of free kicks for days and weeks and months and years? Ad nauseum. It's not complicated, is it? Elton John will always be a feature of this show because I'm obsessed with him and I consider him to be a total genius. And I believe that his best work is easily, easily comparable with the Beatles. Rocket Man, Daniel. Your song, sorry, seems to be the hardest word. Benny and the Jets, Saturday night's all right for fighting candle in the wind. I could go on, but I won't bore you. I love Elton. Well, you know, he's really good at the piano. It's because he's uh, spent a lot of time playing the piano. You know, I mean, yes, he's a genius. Of course he is. But you know, a lot of that is just graft. It's just um, a lot of playing the piano. So if you're a, pia if you're a pianist, let's say you're 17. And you're really into the piano. 
if you play the piano as much as Elton John did from when he was 17, you'll, you'll be you'll be like Elton John. Because Elton John didn't take some potion. Uh, he didn't get anything injected into his hands. <laughs> he just played the piano a lot for years. That's why. I mean, we've talked about it before. Thierry Henry, the excellent ex-footballer, talks about the myth of genius. What about Gary Player? Isn't that a great name for a golfer, by the way? Gary Player. Very successful golfer. And his his um, thing was that um, he said, the more I practice, the luckier I get. Clever, isn't it? That is good. The more I practice, the luckier I get. Isn't he wise? So it's obvious, isn't it? It's common sense. It's be obvious. If it walks like a duck, it quacks like a duck. It's probably a, a duck. And I've got another thing about being obvious, and it's it's another Elton story. And it's how he got started, right? There was a guy called, better get his name right, Ray. Oh, how can I not know his name? That's an absolute travesty to not know. what Ray Williams, thank you. Phew. Right. So basically... You've got this, you've got this um, record company. I think it might be called Liberty Records back in the day. Ray Williams was a, a young sort of records. Um, what do you call him? Like a sort of, uh, I think the expression is A&R man. Basically running a small label called Liberty Records. And he had, um, they wanted to recruit new songwriters because this was in, the 60s, the late 60s, when, you know, songwriting teams were very successful and rock and roll, pop music, you, you know, if you could write a hit for a big star, a famous singer, you know, you're like Tom Jones or something, you write a hit for Lulu or Tom Jones, you can make an absolute fortune. So it was a big thing in those days. A lot of artists like Elvis and Frank Sinatra and others, they didn't actually write their own material. So it was very much a big tradition, a big industry of songwriters, songwriting partnerships who would churn out this material day in, day out and offer these songs to established names and then hopefully go and have a number one. So there was a thriving scene in London and uh, this particular label was called Liberty Records. Ray Williams was looking after recruitment and he put out an advert and it said, Musicians Wanted. So anyway, he got, you know, sent loads of stuff every day. And he had, um, he knew about Reg Dwight, who is Elton John. And this was like a guy who is a very good piano player, good singer, but could not write lyrics to save his life. Just couldn't, could not write words for songs, but very good musical talent. Anyway, so every day he gets all these stuff sent sent in the post people applying from for the advert as songwriters and there's one guy and he just sends in a bunch of lyrics and he says i don't write music but i'm i'm kind of a poet and i'd like to get into songwriting i'd like to get into being a lyricist so ray williams has a quick look at some um, these manuscripts you know it's a few pages of flowery prose poem poems basically you know 
turned into Paul McCartney poems, you know, you know, basically, you know, when I wrote Hey Jude, you know. Anyway, so Ray Williams being a very smart man, right, he did the obvious thing. He thought, well, wait a minute, I know about this Reg guy. And he, he needs lyrics. He can't write words, but he's a very good composer. And then there's got this guy that doesn't write music, but he's he's got endless words. Uh, would it be so wrong to introduce these two men to each other and see what happens? So the uh, lyrics got... So the, what happened is that Ray Williams handed Reg this big pile, this big envelope full of lyrics. And Elton looked through and said, like, yeah, I quite like that, actually. And he um, started, he didn't even have contact with Bernie Taupin at this time, who's the guy that sent the lyrics in. But he started to actually start um, composing stuff and, and sort of writing material based upon these lyrics. Because the way that he does it is that he, Elton John looks, he, he get, always starts with the words. So he, he gets handed a bunch of lyrics. He, he looks at it. He reads the words. He reads the title. Normally, I think that if the title catches his eye, then he decides, OK, well, I'll have a go at that one because he flicks through them. He doesn't just grab the first thing and look through. And he's like, I'm still standing. I'll, I'll have a go at that one. You know, So he looks at the title and then he starts to work on the song. And he did that with these lyrics. And what ten, what he has explained happens, which is very magical, is that when he sees the words, he gets like a movie playing in his head and the music just pours out of him. It just flows through his fingers. Half an hour later, you've normally got a song. Imagine that. So he um, played with these uh, things. Anyway, and, and then they met in a cafe in London and felt that they had very much the same taste in music. They also seemed to click on a personal level. Elton John was an only child and very unhappy family life with an uncaring, rather harsh father and a complicated, difficult mother. And um, music was his great outlet, but he didn't have any siblings. And he dreamed of having a brother. And it seems like Bernie Taupin was that kind of, could play that brother role. So anyway... That's remarkable, isn't it? Ray Williams does the obvious thing. He just, he's like, wait a minute, you know, you've got a lyricist and you've got a composer. Why don't we just, that would make sense, wouldn't it? That would make, and it did make sense because between them, they have, well, if you consider them to be a sort of songwriting partnership, right? Because the Beatles, it, I, I don't think you can call Lennon and McCartney a songwriting partnership because they wrote, they're all, everything is Lennon-McCartney. Absolutely. And, you know, they would sort of chip in with suggestions for songs to, you know, Paul's got a song thing and then John's like, what about that? You know, so there were there was a hint of collaboration, but predominantly, you know, Paul wrote songs and came in. It's like, here's what I've got for the studio sessions. And John would do the same. And um, they they were a partnership, but they, they pretty much wrote independently this is very different so elton john and bernie Taupin, this is a partnership right this is a pure collaboration 50 50 um and so therefore as a songwriting partnership i wonder if they are the most commercially successful songwriting partnership in history i don't think there is a more commercially successful or critically acclaimed songwriting partnership out there is there elton john and bernie torbin i mean what have you got um those people that did the musicals 
like Rogers and Hammerstein. I hope that's what they were called. Rogers and Hart as well. You've got George and Ira Gershwin. You know, there's some pretty monstrous talents out there. But I guess Andrew Lloyd Webber and Tim Rice, that kind of thing. But I think uh, Torpin slash John, that's got to be the number one musical partnership of all time. And it all started because some guy called Ray Williams did the obvious thing. It was common sense. The rest is history. So listen, uh, where should we go from here? Oh, yes, I love this. I'm very excited. So um, can I talk to you about clothes? I do enjoy clothes. I think they're wonderful, aren't they? I mean, it's just fun because clothing is a costume, isn't it? Shakespeare said all the world's a theatre and clothing is a chance to just be a bit of a show off and wear different outfits and be someone else. I love it. I love it. I don't have huge amounts of clothes and I really ration how many that I add to the collection. A, because I don't want to spend the money and B, because it's just silly. It's awful having too many clothes because I just find the more clothes I have, the, the, the less rotation I have of the clothes I actually own. Sometimes I have a big sort out and I'll give a load of stuff to a charity shop. And I find that with fewer clothes, I have more turnover. I like more variety in what I'm wearing because I can actually like see what I've got. And it's like, oh, I forgot about that T-shirt. Whereas when there's loads of stuff, it's like, I can't even start. You know, I'm just going to wear always wear the same thing. So I've rationalized my wardrobe quite a bit. And I do love, I do enjoy it. I just enjoy the clothing. And I'm sure you do too. Most people do. I love to go to these charity shops and buy secondhand clothes. It's marvelous. I like the sales. Online is pretty good now for a bargain. But um, something I can really recommend to all of you, which is a game changer, and it does require a bit of investment. So it's only when, you, when you're able to, to afford it. But it is it's a money-saving solution. Start with, um, start with men. And let's talk about things like a suit. Okay, so a tailor-made suit is beyond the reach of almost everyone. I did a TV show once and they did provide me with a tailor-made suit and it cost a thousand pounds. What the hell? And that was almost 20 years ago. So it would probably be two or three thousand pounds now. Ridiculous. And you know, but I mean, they were paying. I wasn't going to say no. I'll be honest with you. Uh, The suit, yeah, it's okay. I don't know. It was all right. I mean, it wasn't OMG. I think I didn't know enough about how I, what kind of suit I wanted and what sort of cut. I didn't know any, any of that stuff. I just went there and they just told me what to do and then they just gave me a suit and it was fine. If I ever did have a tailor, I would be very specific and go like, this is what I want. Don't, I'm not interested in what you think. <laughs> I would be very clear um, that it's got to look like it's got to go in here and it's got to go up here and it's got to go out there. There would be instructions. There would be instructions. But I do not have a tailor. I do not anticipate having a tailor anytime soon, even though you must admit, wouldn't that be the nicest thing? If you had somebody just making your clothes, that would be nice, wouldn't it? Because it's a great skill. Imagine having stuff that just fits you perfectly. Uh, the best would be for me a tailored shirt because I've got long arms. So the idea of putting on a shirt that literally just fits my body goes to the right you know the cuff goes right to the edge of my wrist and ah oh, that would be nice but 
it doesn't matter because I have a solution. And here is how you get a bit of very cheap tailoring. If it's a suit, gentlemen, you go to a normal shop like Zara or wherever and you go off the peg, right? You just go and you find yourself a generic suit. So you find a colour of fabric that you like and you find a size that you feel suits you. Now, what I recommend is you, you've got to go a little bigger, OK, because you'll find out why in a second. So let's say that there's a jacket and the trousers and stuff. Um, it could be, by the way, that it could be the trousers from the shop fit perfectly. So try to get trousers that fit perfectly because you won't have to do anything to them. They're just good to go. But this solution works for the trousers too, but particularly for the jacket, right? A suit jacket, no suit jacket. Very rarely will a suit jacket ever fit you perfectly. And it will never look tailor-made because it's it's a generic size, isn't it? you got like the 38 regular, the 40 regular, 42, 44. But, you know, it doesn't know how long your arms are. And, you know, so it, it might be long enough, but then it's too wide. Very few off-the-peg suits will look as good as a tailor-made because they're not tailor-made. But what you do is you buy the suit from this normal high street shop, which is hopefully nice and cheap. And you go to Zara, for example, you can get a suit from Zara for £130 quite easily. I mean, I, <laughs> are you ready for this? I went to Primark, which is a wonderful cut price, British, Irish, I believe it's Irish. But there's loads in the UK. It's very cheap. And I bought a suit in the sale. I got the trousers for £10. I got the jacket for 20 quid. So that is 30 quid for a suit. What the hell? It doesn't fit me. The jacket is too wide and the trousers are too short. So what is this advice? What is the tailoring hack so that you look like your suit or any other item is tailor-made? You buy it from the shop. You then go to the dry cleaners. All right. Now, have you noticed when you go to the dry cleaners, there's always a sewing machine at the front of the shop. And there's a lady or a gentleman. Often there'll be a gentleman of Greek extraction wearing a string vest with a lot of hair on his shoulders. All year round, it seems to be the preferred look of a dry cleaner is for the portly middle to late aged Greek gentleman with wonderful sort of rich, luscious hair sprouting out of his shoulders. <clears throat> anyway, they're very hot and the, the, the dry cleaners is hot, so they're hot. So this is why he's stripped down to just one layer. But you'll normally find in your local town or city these little places that do alterations, right? So... You're not looking for a tailor because that will cost you eight million pounds. Avoid the word tailor. I'm talking about alterations. I'm talking about the place where they put an extra button on your shirt. I'm talking about the place where they add a little Velcro thing to a skirt or something. You know what I mean? There's alterations. So you, you, you saved a lot of money by buying a cheap suit. And by the way, this works for women too. It works for women's smartwear. You know, if you're a woman, you blouse, skirt, t-shirt. Okay, all items, all genders. You buy cheap. And then you go to the alter alteration place. And you get it tailored to 
to your needs. So for example, this Primark suit, which cost me 30 quid, I'm going to go to my lady who I see. She she has a laundrette, a, a dry cleaners, and she does alterations. It's the two things. There is no hairy Greek man, which I'm very sad about. But what she's going to do is the jacket is too wide. <clears throat> the trousers are too short. So she'll take it in. And what that means is that I'll put the jacket on and then she will use um, safety pins and she'll pin it so that it fits me really well. If the, the sleeves actually looked all right, because I, I got a slightly bigger one because I knew I was going to have it taken in and altered. The sleeves are good. But if the sleeves were short, she could lengthen the sleeves as well. But she won't need to with that particular one. So all I need is I need it taken in. Also, the trousers are too short. So she's going to let them down. Okay. Now, the cost of that, she'll probably charge me £25 to take the jacket in. She'll probably charge me £7.50 to lengthen the trousers. That is, in total, £32.50. It took Literally, it took me that long to quickly calculate the two things, even though I'm a math, maths wizard. Spectacular. So um, what I what happened is that um, no, that's what that's what I will be doing. And I will then have. Well, the suit has cost me less than 70 quid, hasn't it? I mean, I'm, OK, that's an extreme example because a very cheap suit. But even if the, if the suit costs you 100 quid, 150 quid, right? You add another 30 or 40 quid for the alterations, 200 quid, right? That's a tailor made suit. It is, it is made for you. So you don't need the tailor to start from scratch. You take a suit from a shop or a skirt or a blouse or a dress or a T-shirt. You take it from a shop, generic, and then it's tailor-made for you. It's actually better than a tailor-made suit because a tailor-made suit, like I said with my story, you get given a suit, you're like, mm, okay. Whereas with this, it's like you're starting with the raw materials and you can show them what you want done to it. It's an amazing thing. You have got tailor-made clothes just for you and you're not a millionaire, but you're walking around in a tailor-made suit and you'll have that forever. It's a beautiful thing. And it's fantastic for when you lose weight because you might need stuff that did fit you to be taken in. But um, give that a go. It will change your life. Um, listen, we're going to wrap things up because it's a busy day today. I'd love to do a bit longer, but um, remember what I'm always saying. Uh, do something average today rather than something perfect tomorrow. And I just had enough time to squeeze out 40 minutes with you today. And I really... Um, We'll definitely give you a nice, juicy, longer helping next time. Um, but I'm going to sign off with this. <clears throat> Don't hide your journey. Don't hide your learning. Uh, I used to work, started working in TV and had this TV legend guy who was like the sort of senior producer of this show I was working on. So I'm new. I'm a kid. He is like a legend, probably in his 60s as Silver Fox. He's produced everything. And he knew that this was a big opportunity for me and that I was in many ways out of my depth. And he said to me, don't hide your learning. He said, let, let the viewer see that you're learning. 
Okay. You don't need all covering up for your mistakes and smoke and mirrors. It's just like, and I've kept that to this day. If you see my TV show, right, little mistakes, we leave them in. I'm like, the camera goes to the wrong person. And I'm like, it's okay. It's live TV. You know, I don't, when I broadcast, and hopefully I do that with you too, if something goes wrong or whatever. And I've just told you that I don't have time to do an hour today for the Bible. Why do you need to know that? Well, I just, you know, I have no secrets from you. You know, it's just, we're here. And this is it. I'm not hiding anything. So whatever it is you're doing in your life, um, if it's at work, you know, you don't have to hide. You're having problems. You're having a bad day. That's okay. You made mistakes. Forget about this artifice, this construct of everything's perfect and just be open and don't hide the fact that you're learning and you do something at work and it goes wrong. You're like, hey, I really messed up on that one. Apologies, everyone. I'll get it right next time. Rather than writing, you know, let's cover this up. It's terrible. If anyone finds out that I made this mistake, oh, it'll be horrifically. No, just put it out there. We all make mistakes, don't we? Yeah, as an error of judgment. Well, that should have been better. You're owning it. And you don't hide it. And don't hide the fact that you're learning. It's wonderful people, people for people to see that you're learning. Uh, if you look at popular creative artists, if someone was talking about George Michael and someone said that what they loved about George Michael is that his struggles were sort of out there. It wasn't behind the scenes. You know, you he, he lived with his struggles and, and it was something that people loved him for, that they could see he was human. They could see he was fragile. He didn't hide that. And that's okay, you know, rather than this is presenting a thing. It's just, so don't hide your journey. Don't hide, you know, who you are and what's happening. Um, and really, really own it. And enjoy, enjoy the fact that, you know, nothing goes in straight lines, that nobody's perfect, that we're all humble, that we're all human, we're all frail. There's, there's no experts. There's no one with a monopoly of wisdom, a monopoly of empathy. You know, we've all we've all got a chance. We're all on a journey. And so don't hide yours. It's been lovely talking to you. And I cannot wait for the next show. If you're enjoying the program, do tell your friends, tell your family and subscribe to the YouTube thing and also subscribe to this. Please give me an honest review. And I can't wait to see you next time. Have a great week. And remember, welcome criticism. Bathe yourself in it. The wise critic that points out your faults hands you a map to untold treasure. See you next time. Bye bye.